All right, folks, we are coming to you from the exchange for the very first episode of the CC Coastal Bent with me, Scott Brooks, and my wonderful co-host, Jeffrey Delgado. Jeffrey Delgado. Yes, sir. All right. First, first and foremost, I want to thank the exchange uh, for letting us do this podcast here. It's a fantastic opportunity. It's it's a wonderful setting. Uh, the feel here is is great. Um, I like the stuff that they do here at the exchange. Always live music, um, live stand up comedy. Uh, there's there's always something to do here at the exchange. I mean, today is one of my very favorite days. It's Taco Tuesday, baby. Dollar Street tacos, chicken enchilada soup. Oh, oh man, $3 drafts? $3 drafts. The $3 margaritas? $3 tequilas? Yes. I mean, Pimador Silver. I mean, right? and, and don't be wrong, if you, if you don't come on a Tuesday, a chef based menu, I mean, you can find something unique. Oh, yeah, definitely a singularly unique menu. No doubt. Uh, no doubt. Extremely unique. No doubt. Uh, bacon pulled pork, uh, oh, cornbread man. sandwich, a Philly grilled cheese. Philly grilled cheese. Oh, come steak? on, man. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. Yeah, a chili, a, a Philly. A Philly grilled cheese steak. Yes, uh, it, it's it's a uh, it's a grilled cheese sandwich with Philly in the sandwich. You, you just have to get it. You can't. You, you, you got to get it. You got to get it with a side of beer cheese Ooh. and dip it in the beer cheese. Mm-hmm. Oh, blow your mind. Blow your entire mind. Oh yeah. Right then and there. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and, and not just that. A uh, jalapeno infused bone and pork chop. Oh man, we can go on and on about this. Our mm. alligators to die oh, for. Oh, the alligator I mean, is fantastic. Our wings. I the, mean, the sector fries. The wings are smoked, then they're fried. There's so, fries and there's sector fries. Right. By the way. Right. I mean, these. This is. Oh man. Oh, but the wings. Oh yeah. You're yeah, right. You're smoked right. and then fried. They're fantastic. If you're hungry and you're in downtown Corpus Christi, you need to be at the Exchange. Yes. All right. If you're looking to be entertained and you're in downtown Corpus Christi, you need to be at the Exchange. You like art? You, yeah. You love art. The whole place is an art gallery, yeah. and all the art's for sale. You can see some of it on the cameras here. Yeah. Uh, it's all for sale, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a fantastic place. I, I definitely want to thank Xavier Ramos, uh, Jeremy Wells, Hank I Harrison. Guess, yeah. Tony Nichols uh, and JD Heinrich definitely for uh, letting us use this place to shoot this podcast. Definitely, uh, it, this is the CC Coastal Bent, and we are guaranteeing the most relevant conversations in the Coastal Bend area. Always, this is that's the guarantee from me. You can take it to the bank. That's just what it is. The most relevant conversations in the Coastal Bend area are coming to you from this podcast, the CC Coastal Bend. And if you don't believe him, just ask me. Right? <laughs> I'll tell you. Just ask Jeff. He'll yes. let you know. All right, so the very first episode, we're going to focus on this thing that both Jeff and I have noticed uh, working at a bar. Uh, people think the world's getting worse. Yes. They think the world's actually getting worse. Mm-hmm. And it's not just people here at this bar, right? It's people yeah. around the world. Everywhere. Uh, it was actually a, a wonderful uh, psychologist out of Harvard, uh, Dr. Stephen. Oh, I don't know if he's a doctor. I don't think he's a doctor. Uh, Steven Pinker, because he never puts doctor beside his name, so he's, he, he never does. That's he true. Probably is just has a master's. Probably as smart as one though. No, right, he's probably one of the smartest men alive, no doubt. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out Steven Pinker's TED Talks, check out Steven Pinker's TED Talks. Go on YouTube, type in Steven Pinker TED Talk, and you're going to hear some amazing stuff uh, from Steven Pinker. Steven Pinker just recently wrote a book. Uh, right, Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. It's a fantastic book, uh, and it tells you how the world is actually getting better by every single way you can measure. Every single metric, the world is getting better, right? Now get this, 
He surveyed people in Australia, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Great Britain, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, Thailand, the UAE, and the United States of America, and all of them thought the world was getting worse. He asked them, is the, is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? And all these people from the most advanced countries on the face of the planet said it's getting worse. They think starvation's getting worse. They think poverty's getting worse. They think uh, war is more prevalent now than it's ever been before. They think pollution is more prevalent now. They think overpopulation is more prevalent, that, that, that we're being overpopulated and we're destroying all of our resources. This is all wrong. It's all wrong, and it's all scientifically wrong. You can, you can pin this down scientifically. So let's get to the arguments. Let's get to what people are saying or what the science is saying about the world. Is it getting worse? Or is it getting better? Okay. I think one of the things uh, we should focus on first here is overpopulation. Okay. Okay. I think overpopulation is one I've heard so many arguments for. Everybody, everybody and their damn mother thinks that the world's becoming more and more overpopulated. That, 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 there's no such thing. Well, I, right now, I believe you are correct. There is no right such now, thing as overpopulation. There's no such thing. And, and we can go back. Okay, overpopulation, this isn't a new argument. All right? So this was, well, it was, huh, it's been talked about for thousands of years. Of course. But most recently, okay. and when I say recent, people are going to be like, what? Because it's 1798. Right? Right. <laughs> Thomas Malthus. Okay. Uh, he, he started putting out, he's in England, uh, a vicar, I do believe. He started writing about how the world was becoming overpopulated. And how we couldn't produce enough food to feed everyone. Everyone was going to starve out and die. <laughs> we were all going to starve out and die. Wow. Yeah. And wow. he predicted that everyone was going to starve out and die by 1895. Okay. He was wrong. Of course, dead wrong. Because yes. what happened was is people, because when he was running the numbers, the math worked out for the time. Right? It worked out for the time. Yeah. At the time, they couldn't produce food fast enough to feed people if they continued to multiply. The way we're going. But... We figured it out. Human beings were such industrious creatures. We figured out how to grow food faster, better, more efficiently, right? And we were able to feed everyone. By 1895, the world was seeing a boom in technology. We were doing things that we had never done before. In 1895, they were putting together the first cars, mm -hmm. right? The locomotive had been invented. Right. These are things that they could have never imagined in 1798, you know? It's nuts. Thomas Malthus, he, he, he was totally wrong. Totally, completely wrong. But him being totally wrong did not stop others from picking up this overpopulation narrative that we're, oh my God, the population's growing to the point where we won't be able to feed everyone. Resources will be th too thin. We're, we're all going to die out. In the 1960s, a guy named Paul Elric, I do believe he is a doctor, so Dr. Paul Elric. I'm familiar. Uh, he's a butterfly specialist yes. that predicted several gloom and doom scenarios in the late 60s, in 1968, in a book he called The Population Bomb. Doesn't sound more ominous than that. The right. population bomb. Yeah, sure. Right? So he said stuff like, the cancer of population growth, growth must be cut out by compulsion if voluntary methods fail. Meaning, if we don't voluntarily cut back on reproduction, then the government should come in and start killing people. Wow, yeah. which they already so <laughs> right. So. <laughs> yeah, that that's what he was that's what he proclaimed. If, wow, if really? we don't turn that's this around. 
yeah, then the government should come in and turn it around. Wow. Now, this guy made some pretty crazy predictions. Let me give you some of those, some of the things Paul, uh, Dr. Paul Elric said. All right. I would take even money that England does not exist in the year 2000. He said that in 1969. The battlefield... Or the battle to feed humanity is over. In the 1970s, the world will undergo famines. Hundreds of millions of people, including Americans, will starve to death. He said that in 1968. All right. He said, by 1980, the United States will see its life expectancy drop to 42 because of pesticides. And by 1999, its population would drop to 22.6 million. He said that in 1969. All right. He goes even further. Oh no 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 no. Uh, we'll we'll get to Elric. We'll we'll get back to Elric here in just a bit. Oh no, you know what? Let's just r- jump right to it. So Elric believed that the population was going to continue to grow to the point where commodities—that stuff that we use every day and everyday stuff—would yeah. become so expensive no one could afford it except for the ultra rich. Because you know how prices work, right? Right. The more scarce it is, the more expensive it is. Oh, yeah. The more abundant it is, the less expensive it is. Right. 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 So he made a bet. With a man, Julian Simon, mm. right? And he bet that commodities would become, like it was like I was saying, so rare and so scarce because we'd use them all up that they'd become inexpensive, or, uh, ex- extremely expensive to, to the point where no one could afford them but the ultra-rich. So Elric chose some commodities that he bet. Uh, let's see, he bet Julian Simon. Uh, I think they did this in the 1980s. He bet him in 10 years. They'd become, yeah, it was in 1980. He said, by 1990, this stuff's going to be so expensive, only the super rich can afford it. Right? So here's the stuff he picked. Elric chose copper, chromium, nickel, tin, and tungsten. Right? These are all earth metals. Right. You know, you you can't make these. Right. There's only so much of it, right? Right. So population increased from 1980 to 1990, 873 million. Mm. But the prices of the materials dropped an average of 57.6%. Wow. They wow. dropped by half, over half, 57.6%. Now, what that means is, is that as population grows, commodities become less expensive. Okay. That means we're making them more abundant. Is it kind of like the same thing where you said you print too much money, it's less value? That's exactly it. Okay. That's gotcha. exactly it. When you print a bunch of money, it means not the that much value more. drops to the floor. Right, 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 right. Right? right? Okay. Because there's so much of it, it's not rare. Rare things are more expensive. Okay, so me being, you know, and for the listeners out there, me being a sports fan, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just say, or you know what? You're a wrestling fan. WrestleMania, yeah. only once a year. If we had it six times a year, it wouldn't be as special, right? That's right. Got you. It wouldn't be very special I, at all. I, I because got it's you. happening all the time. I got you. Right. Makes sense. All right, so if you go into what humanprogress.org says okay. about uh, population, and that's an organization I would suggest to anyone, follow humanprogress.org. Or really, because yes. I did not know that. I'm going to start following that thing. Yeah, humanprogress.org. It's a fantastic organization made up of credentialed scientists that are combating the nihilism that's coming out of social media, the negativity, the pessimism, the constant narrative that the world's getting worse. They're, they're combating it with science, wow. with provable, objective empiricism. Right. So uh, if you look into what humanprogress.org has to say about population growth, it's it's very revealing. It's extremely enlightening. Right. So there they started to measure human productivity. Right. And they came up with this. Okay, the earth is three hundred and seventy nine point six percent more abundant in twenty seventeen than it was in nineteen eighty. 
Commodities that took 60 minutes of work to buy in 1980 took only 21 minutes of work to purchase in 2017. If this trend should continue, commodities should drop in price 50% every 26 years. What it seems is, and I wrote this down, is what, what all this means is that every additional human being born on the planet appears to make resources proportionally more plentiful for the rest of us. All right? That's according to the Simon Abundance Index done by Marion Tupi and Professor, Ga- Professor Gail Pooley. All right? So they measured all the commodities and how much they cost and how much work it takes to buy one of these commodities. Right? And they found that they're far, le- far less expensive than they were in 1980, which means they're more abundant. Mm. So every human being born makes resources more abundant for the rest of us. We're not overpopulated, baby. We're underpopulated. Yes, yes. Come on, <laughs> right? man. Yeah. We need more people. Yes. We need more people to be more productive so that we can all afford more stuff right. and expand our lives, make our lives better. Yes. All right? Because the more affluent... The more rich a country becomes, the better it takes care of itself and its environment. This has been proven, again, by humanprogress.org. So they they showed that once a uh, country's uh, personal GDP, per capita GDP, like their their GDP per person, that's uh, how much money you make in a year, comes up to 45, I think it's 4,500 or 4,800. It's between there, 45 to 4,800. Okay. Which isn't a whole lot of money. That's $4,500 a year, $4,800 a year. Yeah. Not a whole lot of money. No. Once a country gets to that point, they start to, or crime starts to reduce. Environmentalism and, and environmental conscientiousness starts going up. People take care of the environment. Because right, you got to think about it, man. Like, if you have to cut down the trees to stay warm, you don't give a damn about preserving the forest. Right. You want to stay warm, so you'll cut down the damn trees. Right. You know? Right. Makes sense. And, makes but sense if you've world. got a heater and you don't have to cut down trees to stay warm, you start worrying about the forest. You're like, man, I want the forest to stay standing. I don't <laughs> want to cut it down. It's beautiful. Right. Not to mention all the benefits you get from having a standing forest, the ecological benefits. From Definitely. It. Right. So this is one of those things that all those misanthropic, anti-human uh, negative pessimistic people say <laughs> that the environment is getting destroyed at a catastrophic rate and there's no turning it around. Yeah. That, right. Yeah. If you remember, uh, Representative uh, New York Representative Alexandria Casio Cortez mm-hmm. uh, said that in 12 years, if we don't turn things around environmentally, then it, then we're done for. The world is going to end. That's what she said. And then uh, Robert Franklin O'Rourke, we you know all those who have been duped into thinking he's Mexican know him as Beto <laughs> O'Rourke. Robert Franklin O'Rourke. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, Irish, uh, Irish has a gift. He echoed the same thing. He said the same thing. He he actually said, and I, I can't quote him directly because I can't remember the exact quote, so I'll paraphrase him. He said that all of science is unanimous on the issue that if we don't turn around the ecological damage then the world will end in 12 years if there were if there was a unanimous unanimous consensus among scientists that the world was ending in 12 years they'd be building bunkers definitely <laughs> they, something they going would on, be not building right. bunkers like, how do these guys know what's going on come on well you, let's say they do let's say they know they really do know what's going on yeah. They'd be building bunkers if they no, thought no, the world was going to I'm, I'm talking about like guys like Beto and them. How do they know what's oh, going well, on? Well, Beto doesn't know it. No, no, I'm talking about guys like them. <laughs> scientists, of course, I trust <laughs> them more than anyone. Of course, they'd be building bunkers. You're right, but guys like that, they're just talking out their ass. Come yeah. on. Man. Well, and if the, if the end was not, if it was 12 years in the making, if we we only had 12 years left, 
that means that there's nothing that can be done. It's we're in at that point we're in like who can we save and how can we save them mode? Like who right. gets to be on the on the ship? Right. You yeah. Know, who yeah. gets to be in the bunker? Yep. All right. That's where we'd be at. There'd be no like okay we can turn it around. There's only twelve years. We can't turn that around. No. You know that's a that's a like a meteorite or a, a meteorite an asteroid's gonna hit the earth like. Who's going to live? Who's not going to live? Right. Who's going to go in the bunker? Who's going to be able to get on the ship? You know, yep. that's that's the kind of situation we're looking at. If it is 12 years and nobody's panicking, nobody's building bunkers except for crazy preppers. Right. You know, <laughs> um, all the scientists are they're not on the mountaintop screaming. The end is nigh. They don't have signs out in the streets. Mm-hmm. All right. So we know it's not coming. Right. All right? We know they're they're full of shit. <laughs> all right. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. To say the least. Exactly. So if we look at. The actual numbers or the actual science on environmentalism, we can find some really, really interesting stuff. Okay. All right. So we're going to look at what NASA has to say about green leaf area coverage. Because according to these people, the, the misanthropic, anti-human, nihilistic people that are all over social, social media, all over the internet, all over the news media. What are they saying about the environment? Well, they're saying it's being destroyed at a catastrophic rate and there's no recovery, right? They're saying that forests are being cut down at a catastrophic rate, that green leaf area is, is, is reducing to a, a catastrophic level. Well, this is what NASA and the Earth Observatory has to say about that. The world is literally a greener place than it was 20 years ago. Global green leaf area has increased 5% since the early 2000s, an area equivalent to all of the Amazon rainforests. An area equivalent to all of the Amazon wow. rainforests. Okay? Now, this was uh, written by Abby Tabor and, uh, at, at the NASA Ames Research Center and Mike Carl, Karkowitz. I, I don't know if I can say his name. <laughs> Mike, Mike Karlowitz, Earth Observatory. Right. So the Earth Observatory and NASA is saying the Earth's greener and they're basing this on satellite images. OK. All right. So the images are going around or the satellites are going around the Earth. They're looking at the Earth, what's going on. And they're noticing that the Earth is getting greener. Why wow. is it getting greener? If, the, if OK, if we're destroying the environment at a catastrophic rate, it's so much so that the world's going to end in 12 years. Then why is the Earth greener? Mm. And you can just see it. Just drive around. I mean, I just recently drove from. Corpus Christi Mm -hmm. to Waco, Texas. Hell of a drive. Yeah. About a six and a half hour drive. Oh, yeah. Easy. At no point did I run into a dead zone where there were no trees or no. It it was actually, there were times where you'd come up on a hill, you'd crest a hill, and you'd just see forest. Wow. That's all you'd see is forest. Like this road cutting through the forest and pasture land. Yeah. You know, and and a lot of this pasture land, it's not like there were a bunch of cows in the pasture land. It was just empty pasture land. It was just (laughs) free free rain. It was just growing. And the roads weren't lined with trash, right? There wasn't smoke billowing up above the horizon. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And Texas is a beautiful state in the spring. Right, in the summer, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets all burned up. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's a little hot, but either way, still nice. Yeah, oh yeah, it, it's absolutely gorgeous. And, and it, it goes even, it gets even crazier. These people get even crazier with the, with the insane notions that they're putting out, right? <laughs> so this one also comes from humanprogress.org. Okay. Recently on the BBC, Deborah Tabart from the Australian Koala Foundation noted that 85% of the world's forests are now gone. Luckily, 
That statement is incorrect. Yeah, that don't sound right. <laughs> the world's richest regions, such as North America and Europe, are not only increasing their forest area, they have more forest than they did prior to industrialization. Wow. So prior to the Industrial Revolution in the late 19th century, we have more forests, more forests than before we were building factories, before we had cars, before we had trains, before all of that. We have more forests now. That's awesome. Right now, that was written by Alexander C.R. Hammond. Um, he goes on, <laughs> and uh, well, now I gotta find it. I just lost it. Oh shit, that's mm-hmm. no good. So he goes on to state, if I remember correctly, you know what? I don't even need the notes. I know what he said. <laughs> right, I know. What he, I already know what he said. Uh, so here's what he said. He said, "You got to do the math." Okay. on this to figure out that what these guys are saying is insane. Now, the only, uh, the only reference he could find to the, the world getting less forested uh, was from Green Action News. They're a, an internet-based news organization. Okay. And Green Action News said that 80% of the world's forests had been cut down. So he went with that number. Uh, he went with that number. He was like, okay, 80%. So the UN says that there are 4 billion hectares of forest land left. Four billion hectares. All right, to put it into perspective, there's only about 14 billion hectares of land on the earth, a little more than 14 billion hectares. So four billion of that is forest. So do the math. If 80% of the forests were cut down and there's four billion hectares left, that means 135% of the earth's surface had to be covered in forests. About five billion hectares at sea. A little over 5 billion hectares at sea. Right. So if we cut down 80% of the forest, then 135% of the Earth's surface was covered in forest. That's all the deserts. That's the North Pole. That's the South Pole. All of Antarctica. All the wetlands. All the grasslands. Everything had to be forest, including 5 billion hectares at sea. Wow. The fact of the matter is we have more forest than we did before industrialization. We're not cutting the forest down at a catastrophic rate. We're not destroying the environment so quickly that, uh, that we can't recover. And in 12 years, the world's going to end. That right. isn't happening. Yeah. It simply isn't happening. The environment's getting better. It's absolutely getting better. In fact, it was uh, the Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. that looked into uh, pollution, CO2 emissions. If you believe CO2 emissions are pollution, there are some people that don't. But let's just go with CO2 emissions being pollution. Let's go with it. Okay. All right. So the United States in 2017 cut our emission rate by half a percent, which is more than any other developed nation on the face of the planet. More than Japan, more than France, more than Germany, more than Switzerland, more than every other developed country on the face of the planet. Okay. We didn't sign the or we didn't ratify the Kyoto Treaty. We signed it but we didn't ratify it. We bailed on the the Paris Climate Accords. We we weren't a part of that. You know, Trump is, Trump got us out of that. We have no cap and trade laws. All right? We have no uh well, we have no cap and trade laws. That's a big one. Yeah. Okay. Huge. We we have no cap and trade laws. We bailed on the Kyoto Treaty. We're not a part of the Paris Accords yet. We are cutting our CO two emissions more than every other developed country on the face of the planet. Not only that, but we're, we're our economy is growing. All right. So we grew three percent twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen, or excuse me, I think twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen. Okay. We grew three percent. I do believe it, it. I may be a little off, but three percent. Right, So despite the fact that our economy grew, our emissions went down. Mm. So the economy went up, the emissions went down. 
Damn. Right? So not only are we cutting emissions, but we're doing more economically and still cutting emissions. You see, it should go the other way. If we have more economic uh, activity, we should have more pollution, right? Right. More factories running, more cars driving, more trucks driving. All I mean, and we are. We do have more factories being built. We do have more trucks and cars on the road. But they're not putting out as much pollution wow. as they were before. Right. We're progressing faster than any other developed nation in this area. Mm-hmm. It's not getting worse. No. It's getting Obviously better. Not. Yeah. It's getting better. Right? <laughs> yes. Dude, and and it's it's so crazy some of the stuff that's being put out there, man. Uh, it, you know, uh, Stephen Pinker in the book uh-huh. uh, Enlightenment Now uh-huh. goes through uh, abject poverty and how and that that was like uh, you know real bad poverty. They uh, they defined as like less than a dollar a day. People living on less than a dollar. I mean, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah, we talked the about India that. thing. Yeah, yeah, about how people you know in the world living on less than a dollar a day yep. um, has decreased immensely. Mm-hmm. It has since the 1970s, as far as I understand it. Since the 1970s, it has dropped 80%. 80%. Now, yeah, they're still poor, okay? Yes. But they're not living on less than a dollar a day. Right. Now they're living on 2 or $3 a day, which in that environment is huge. Yes. That's a huge improvement. Definitely. Absolutely huge improvement, man. Um, this, this, and it's so crazy because Pinker... He actually goes through and identifies what it is that brought about this change. It wasn't massive redistribution. It wasn't government intervention. It wasn't uh, foreign aid. It wasn't social programs, right? It was capitalism. Wow. Straight up, unabated capitalism. capitalism. Free market capitalism. That what That's what has almost eliminated abject poverty in the world. We're almost there. We're down to 10% of the world population living on less than a dollar a day. Is that right? Wow, We're down to nice. 10%. Wow. Whereas not too long ago, I believe it was in the 1980s, it may have been the 1990s, uh-huh. uh, 90% oh, yeah, of the world lived oh, yeah. on less than a dollar yeah. a day. And now we're down to 10%. We're eliminating poverty through capitalism, not through massive distribution, not through utopianism, not through communism, not through government programs or foreign aid, but the free market, baby. That's what's doing it. People going out, making uh, making economic choices for Mm -hmm. themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Deciding what they want to sell, what they want to buy without some large organization getting in their way and telling them what they can and can't buy, what they can and can't sell. Right. Right. That's what's doing it. That's what's making the world a better place. And this is something, of course, people on the left don't want to hear. They really don't want to hear oh, that. Oh, of course not. The last thing they want to hear is that capitalism is, is it's getting people out of poverty. It's, it's, uh, it's rebuilding the environment, reforesting the world, right? It's cutting CO2 emissions, capitalism is. It's, it's making the world better in every way imaginable. That's the last thing they want to hear because their narrative is that Mass redistribution is the only way to bring about justice. Right. But it's been shown that whenever we try to do mass redistribution, human suffering increases. Increases almost exponentially. I mean, don't believe me? Ask somebody in Venezuela. Mm. (laughs) You know? Mm. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. Ask somebody in Venezuela. Is socialism and the and the mass redistribution of resources making the world a better place? And they will tell you, no. <laughs> In those words, exactly. <laughs> yeah. In those words, exactly. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. It's just it's just not happening that way. Nope. It's capitalism that's making things better. This is why I've always been a huge proponent of the free market. I feel like markets here, even in the United States, are not near free enough. We need to to have freer markets. Mm-hmm. We need to we need to uh, we need to get or our government needs to get out of the way of the market yep. and let the market do its thing. Let the market make the world a better place, yep. which it invariably does because people in a free market system pursue their own self interest. Mm-hmm. Right? They pursue their own self interest, and at the end of the day, what's been shown is when you pursue your own self interest, you end up pursuing other people's self interest and not even knowing it. You don't even know that you're doing it. I mean, think about it. Like people that manufacture cars, they're serving my self-interest because I need a damn car, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get from A to B. You know, you see what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that's just a small example. Like we can get into the nuances. We'll save that for a different episode. Uh, for, the for merits, sure. the merits of capitalism oh, and for sure. how it all works. For sure. Uh, but right now we're going to focus on the world getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I love the way Steven Pinker puts it. Uh, when he talks about how people have this this negative outlook and and what they think or that they think that the world is getting uh, really bad, he says this bleak assessment of the state of the world is wrong, 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 flat Earth wrong. You know, I love it. <laughs> just straight up flat Earth wrong because it is. It is. It is. It's totally wrong. It just keeps on getting better and better. All right. So what about what about stuff like violence? You okay. know, people think that violence is getting worse, right? Right. You hear that a lot. You hear oh, that yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. And and they they think that uh, like stuff like public shootings, school shootings, yeah. all that's getting worse. No. I think it's all getting worse. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and look at the numbers. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. So what they say about violence or what humanprogress.org says about violence. Right. Uh, first off, they measured war. Okay. Uh, and this is an easy one to measure. It's an easy one, especially when you compare it to the 20th century, which full of war, man. Right. <laughs> you know. That's all it was. Uh, there's far less war today than there's ever been. Right. Far less. Yeah. All right. We do have wars, but they're small. Okay. They're real small. Like, I mean, just look at the conflicts we have going on in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're tiny. All right. You look at something like World War II, that's a conflict. That's a war. World War One, that's a conflict, right? Millions upon millions died. I mean, hell, even look at stuff like uh, the Civil War. Yeah. The Civil War, you had 60,000 Americans. Oh, no, I totally agree with you. Like, back... or, excuse me, 600,000. Yeah, no, 600,000. I know what you <laughs> meant. But, I mean, you're right. Back then, like, the wars back then were just stupid. The wars now, I mean, I could send... I could send the city of Baltimore and they could win the war for us. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, that's how, that's how small they are. Yeah. And, wars, and I get it. Wars where people are still dying. I get that. But what we're saying, the size of it, right? Oh, yeah. I could send Baltimore there. And I'm not, it sounds funny, but I'm not joking. Literally, you can go fight Afghanistan. We could probably still win it. Or whoever, the Middle East, you know, at that time anyway. Right. Well, and it gets even, it gets even crazier because, like, you look at stuff like, Gun violence right. in the United States, which is something that a <laughs> oh, lot of people man. are afraid of. Oh man, they're, they're deathly afraid I... of of uh, gun violence, right. and they think that gun violence is on the rise. Well, get this: <laughs> I looked into it. Okay. okay, in 2013, the Pew Research Center reported that gun homicide rate in the U.S. 
had dropped 49% since its peak in 1993. In 2015, the Brennan Center for Justice reported a 51% decrease in violent crime since 1991 and a 48% decrease in property crime for the same period of time. The Gun Violence Archive, which is a, a nonprofit organization that measures gun violence, right, found that in 2018, gun-related deaths dropped for 7% from 2017. So just in one year, they mm. dropped 7%. And gunshot wounds dropped 10% over the same period of time. Mm. All right? Uh, police shootings. Uh, police shooting unarmed suspects, right? Okay. It's thought to be an epidemic. A crazy epidemic. We're told on the internet it's an epidemic. Oh. Uh, cops are hunting minorities and shooting them dead. Man. All right? So yeah. get this. The Washington Post in 2015 found that uh, police shot 94 unarmed individuals. In 2016, they shot 51 armed un- in unarmed individuals. In 2017, they shot 68 unarmed individuals. And when they measured in 2018, uh, which I do believe is May 7th, um, there were only 18 unarmed individuals shot. Mm. Now, if the cops... Let's look at the highest one, 2015. 94 unarmed individuals shot. Okay. That's the highest one, 2015. There are 320 million of us in this country, right. and only 94 unarmed suspects got shot. Okay, let me tell you this. I have two answers to both of those subjects. Uh, let's start with the cops. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the cops. Okay. Yeah. So, well, the stats you made are actually, I did look them up myself. 100% accurate, right? Yeah. Okay, let's just let's look and get a follow on this. Let's look, let's look at men being rapists. Uh-huh. Man, there's a lot of rapists out there, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, now let's look at women. Let's say... Let's say women being child abusers. Or even women women being rapists, right? The point being, there's four more men raping women and women raping men or women abusing children than cops doing what they're doing. But are we calling all men... What I'm trying to say is everybody hates every cop. Right, Do we hate all men? There's a large animus. Do we hate all the men? Do we hate all the women? Because some of them screw up. No, I mean, most of them, more than cops, yes, they do. Yes. So this is my other thing. Put the camera on me on this one, because this is very important. Yeah, camera's on you. This is a pin, right? Let's say this is is a test. This is my friend's test. Uh Uh-huh. You have A, B, C, D. And the correct answer is C. I get another test. A, B... C, D. I have all the answers, right? I have all the answers. So I'm going to copy him, right? Okay. So I'm going to say C. So I cheated. Yeah. I did, I did wrong with this pin. Are we going to take away every single pin? Right, because you did something wrong the with pin, the pin. The, the pin didn't do it. I had, I had a buddy. Who, I did it. I had a buddy who made this point really good. That was a good point. I like the way you put it, too. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a buddy who made this point in a different way. Okay. All right. So I think it's somewhere around... Um, 70% of children uh-huh. are overweight in, uh-huh. in the United States, uh-huh. and I think it's it's uh, a little over 50% of adults mm-hmm. are overweight in the United States. That sounds right. He suggested that if we want to bring the obesity rate down, that what we should do is reduce the size of spoons. Clearly, it's all these giant spoons. Our spoons are way too big. It's the spoon's fault, damn it. If we could just that. make the eating utensils smaller. 
then people wouldn't eat as much. Maybe plates too. Let's size them all down to hors d'oeuvre plates. Right. You can only fit so much food on there. It's got to be the damn plates and the damn spoons and the damn forks. They're all just way too big. How stupid does that argument sound? <laughs> really damn stupid, doesn't it? So this argument that, that, that we, the way we reduce violence, the way we reduce gun violence in the United States is by sizing down guns and, and making guns less available. It's stupid. It is. It's just retarded it, on its face. It, it, it's dumb. Exactly. The, like the, 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 the pin didn't do this, man. No, I you did, did it. it. I, you did it. I did this. I clicked it, pulled it, shot it, whatever you want to say. Whatever you want to say. So uh, let me tell you this. So there's a lot of stabbings that go on more than shootings. Can we take away all kitchen knives then? Oh, get this. England's trying to do that. No. Yes. You're kidding. They've had a huge... No. They've had a... Oh, oh I mean, they're God. not trying to take all the knives no, away. No, I know, I know. But, but uh, they've had a... Because they they have such strict gun laws, it's, what do the what do the criminals do? Right? They wow. use knives. Wow. <laughs> you know? Wow. If you're going to kill somebody, you're going to kill somebody. Okay? You're going to find a way to do it. And, and, you know, they say, well, well taking away the guns makes it more difficult for them to do it and it's like not really no. you know no. now you're taking away their means to do it quickly and now they have to do it slowly you know it's the same with suicide yeah. uh, when uh, gun restrictions uh, are heavily enforced in, in a place so people don't have guns what do they, people who want to commit suicide what do they do they hang themselves, hang themselves. yes that's yes. the number two way they yeah. hang themselves so they went from a quick death to a really slow, painful yep. death. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't it doesn't actually reduce the number of suicides when you restrict guns. All it does is make more people hang themselves instead of shoot themselves. That's all or it does. Or cut their wrists or whatever it is. That's all it does. If you want to kill yourself, you're gonna kill yourself. It's, it, it doesn't matter what's available to you. Yes. You're gonna figure it out. Yes. You know? I mean that's that's just what it is, man. Yes. That's just if people in jail can commit suicide in prison that all they have is probably just a belt and stuff. Oh, yeah. And they don't have good. If they can do it. Anybody can. And we're out here with all this free stuff. Come on, man. Yeah. Really? Come Anybody on. Anybody can figure it out. Come on. I'm, I'm telling you. And, and one, it gets even crazier. Let's get let's get back on the, the shooting subject. Okay. Um, we'll go to school shootings. Okay. Uh, and they, uh, okay, so we'll start with the Heritage Foundation. So the Heritage Foundation found that four times as many children were killed in schools in the early 1990s than are killed today. The number of children killed in schools has been steadily declining for 30 years. Less than 3% of all youth homicides occur on school campuses. That was March 27, 2018 when they put that out. Right? NPR did a couple pieces on school shootings. Right? I love this one. Uh, it's called Despite Heightened Fear of School Shootings, It's Not a Growing Epidemic. It was put out March 15, mm-hmm. 2018 by Martin Cast. All right. So he found that, let's see, where is it? Ah, here we are. He found that there were, oh, where was it? Ah, here we go. 1992 to 1993, that school year, there were 0.55 students shot and killed per million. All right. 2014 to 2015, 0.15 per million. So 0.15 students per million. That's a huge drop. Oh, definitely. We're talking about half a student per million gets shot in 1992 to 93. Mm-hmm. For every million, half a student gets shot. Wow. Right? Now, or 2014 to 2015, 0.15. And I guarantee the numbers have continued to plummet. Oh, definitely. Right, this, is 28, this is 2019. Right. All right. I'm sure the numbers have continued to plummet. NPR goes even further. 
there was another another uh, story they did. The school shootings that weren't, and this was published August 27, 2018, by Anya Kaminitz. Okay. Right? U.S. Education Department reported that in 2015, uh, in the 2015-2016 school year, nearly 240 schools reported at least one incident involving school-related shooting. So that's 240 schools that reported at least one instance of, of a shooting, right? Okay. So NPR looked into it, right? NPR reached out to every one of the schools repeatedly over the course of three months and found that more than two-thirds of the reported incidents never happened. Mm. This is NPR. This isn't Alex Jones. Yes. Okay, this isn't, you can't call this fake news. Right. Everyone, I think, is in agreement that NPR is a real news organization. Yes. They found that of the 240 school shootings reported, two-thirds of them didn't even happen. Wow. All right? I'm going to quote them here. Quote, we were able to confirm just 11 reported incidents, either directly with schools or through media reports. In 161 cases, schools or districts attested that no incident took place or couldn't confirm one. In at least four cases, we found something did happen, but it didn't meet the government's parameters for a shooting. About a fourth of the schools didn't respond to our inquiries. A separate investigation by the ACLU in Southern California was able to confirm fewer than a dozen incidents in the government's report, while 59% were confirmed errors. So it wasn't just NPR saying this. It was also the ACLU in Southern California. The ACLU looked into it and found that less than a dozen of these instances actually even happened. School shootings are not on the rise. Your kid is safer at school than they are anywhere else. Yep. They are safe. Yes. This narrative that the world's becoming more violent and more destructive, it's ridiculous. It's it's, it's not... I I just don't get it. To be honest with you, people are thinking this. Like, I really don't. Well, it's... What it is, is that... Well, well, we'll get into the reasons why. We're not done with the things that people are saying. <laughs> yeah. right? The things that people are saying are getting worse. Let's, let's finish up with those, and then we'll get to the why people are thinking this. Right. Um, so I think, uh, what was the next one we were going to move on to? So the shootings we pretty much debunked. Gun violence is not increasing. It's actually decreasing, decreasing. at an immense rate. School shootings are decreasing at an immense rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, environmentalism, we're becoming more environmentally conscientious. And the, world, the more the world gets richer through capitalism, the more environmentally conscientious the rest of the world is becoming. Right? What else was there? I actually think we covered a lot of the big ones. Now I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Overpopulation. That's another one that we just, I mean, is just getting destroyed by the science overpopulation isn't a problem i mean again no. like i said i drove through texas here recently yeah. drove from corpus christi to the waco forest giant open spaces wow. we could fit millions of people in these giant open spaces we've got plenty of room you could fit millions of people in those giant open spaces and still have giant open spaces wow. left over yeah you still have forests wow. exactly Right? Yep. I mean, you can just see it just driving across the country. Overpopulation is not a problem. And anybody who says that overpopulation is a problem and is a persistent problem, they're just the kinds of people that want to kill people. That's yeah, all that is. And they probably will or have. Yeah, that's all that is. Yes. Know? Yes. And, and you, you really need to, to go through Steven Pinker's book, 
Enlightenment Now. Oh, it's yes. It's a fantastic book. Definitely. It'll teach you all about how the world's getting better, not worse. Um, how violence overall is down. How poverty overall, ex- especially extreme poverty, is down. Um, about how the number of children going to school is up. You know, people say we're, we're getting less and less educated. Now, I will say... Um, that the United States, the school, well, maybe maybe not the whole United States, but at least here in Texas, the public schools are atrocious and are doing a worse and worse job. Yeah. But the public or the private schools and the charter schools are getting better and better and better. Yes. Right. And so education actually overall around the world is going up and up and up. Yeah. And um, kids are a lot lazier, too. So can't. That's for sure. Can't. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. The, the public schools are as atrocious, but. The kids aren't really helping them matter either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's stuff like the average poor person now lives better than a billionaire did in 1900. Oh, definitely. I think we talked about the whole air conditioning thing. Yeah, we've got air conditioning. We've got penicillin. I can microwave, my, I can microwave my food. Absolutely. And <laughs> you have ready access to food. That's another thing, like clean food. Yes, like yes, Like in 1900. Yes. Filtered water. Yeah, you know, filtered water. God damn. Yeah. Water, water, water reclamation and treatment. Uh, dude, we've got more, more. We have access to more resources than a billionaire did in 1900. And I wouldn't trade my position as a poor individual. And don't get me wrong, I am poor. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I would not trade my position as a poor individual to be rich in 1900. Wow, no way. There's no, no way I'd do it. No, sleeping because, in the heat, sweating every night. Oh, dude, and you can get cholera. And yeah. die from cholera? Yes. Dysentery was one of the number one ways people died back then. Dysentery. Where you quite literally shit yourself to death. Ugh. You either burn up from the fever or you shit until you die. What is that called? Dysentery. I gotta look into that. Never oh, yeah. That. It's hor- it was one of the number one ways dysentery. people died. Really? Yes. Until around modern medicine. Till, uh, well, until penicillin. Because penicillin could, it, it knocks out dysentery like that. Okay. You know. Yeah, dude. I mean, you know, stuff like and the environmental conditions back then. Okay. The environmental conditions is that the air was thick with smog, right? Because this was back when you know people didn't really care much about the environment. They didn't think that they could do a whole lot of damage to it. Right. Um, and they didn't have the technology hadn't advanced enough to do things in a clean manner. Okay. Um, so there was smog everywhere. Um, we reduced the bison population from somewhere around 30 million in North America to almost zero. You oh, know, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice, nice. Overfishing and overhunting was, I mean, it was terrible. Right. You know, people right. didn't understand how the environment worked. And, and dude, you were, you were far more likely to, to develop some kind of terrible condition from poor environmental uh, conditions because people didn't know. They didn't know. Now the air is clean. The water is clean, <laughs> at least in first world nations. Yeah. The air is clean. The water is clean. The soil is clean. Like, it's all clean. Like, here in Corpus Christi, I mean, we're not a huge city, but right. we're a bigger city. We don't have hazy fog, right? No, yeah, you're we right. We don't have that, right. that industrial haze. For sure. That settles over a city. Now, Houston's got some of that. Yeah, they do. Austin's got some of that. Dallas yes. has got some of that. Here in Corpus, we don't have that. And what's really crazy is there are a ton of oil refineries here constantly pumping out smoke yes and yet it doesn't stick around because there isn't enough of it to do so okay right there's and we're much better at refining oil now than we were a hundred years ago that's for sure Mm -hmm. you know a hundred years ago refining oil was like man (laughs) (laughs) it was a seat of your pants kind of kind of thing like people were just like here we go you know (laughs) Uh, and i mean entire plants caught on fire and burned down 
uh, oil derricks or oil wells. Right. They would catch on fire and burn for years and years and years. You know, because they didn't know. They didn't have the technology to make it work right. Now okay. we do. Got you. So things like that, the, you know, the, the environment's getting much, much better. For and, sure. And we're living much better lives than we ever have before. Oh, we're definitely. far more educated, well-fed, which they found that being well-fed um, actually increases your IQ. That if, if when you're a kid, you starve, you don't grow up with a with a good IQ. Is that right? Yes. Wow. Yes. The that, more you starve, proven? the dumber you get. Yes. Wow. That's absolutely proven. Um because your body, Very interesting. you got to think about it. Like your body is putting all of its resources into you surviving, instead of increasing your knowledge base. That yeah, increasing your intelligence for sure. You know, and you yourself are not worried about learning anything except for that which can get you fed. Right. <laughs> you right. know, that's all you're worried about. I gotta no, eat. Yeah. I gotta eat. Damn it. <laughs> you know, when you're starving, like that's all you care about. Yeah. If you've ever starved before, and just about no one watching this podcast has ever starved. You're probably not. Because they all live in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? If you starve, that's all you can think about. You cannot think about anything else. Yes. Except for that, that's how, true. what you're gonna eat and how you're gonna get it. That's true. You yeah, know? you know what? That is very true. Oh very yeah. Very true. You know, um it's 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 astonishing to me that people cannot read a history book and figure this out. <laughs> and figure out that I mean, that we're just we're getting better. Oh, you man. know, the world is getting so much better. I mean, even stuff like, all right, between 1960 and 2016, the world's population grew 145%. Mm. Over the same period of time, world per capita income rose 183%. Mm, so we me. got, the population grew 145%. That's huge. That's a huge That's growth so rate. Stupid. Right? Between 1960 and 2016. But the average per capita income went up 183%. Mm. More people are making more money than ever before. Yep. Right? And between 1981 and 2013, poverty fell 75%. Mm. In 1961, food supply in 54 countries was less than 2,000 daily calories per person. So people in... In 50, what, was it, what did I say? In 54 countries. In 54 countries around the world, people were eating less than 2,000 calories a day. Wow. That's what that means, right? Right. That was only true for two countries in 2013. So by 2013, mass starvation was almost completely eliminated. That's awesome. Almost completely eliminated. All right? The only starvation happening now is happening in countries like Venezuela. <laughs> where mass redistribution, socialist programs, communist systems have been set into place, and of course they fail miserably, right. and people starve to death. Yes. Right? Right. That, and that, all that information was put out by the Cato Institute, mm -hmm. uh, a fantastic, another fantastic organization that I suggest everybody follow. Follow the Cato Institute. All right, they're going to tell you about how the world really works and how things are getting better. The Cato how, how, yeah, the Cato, C-A-T-O, Cato Institute. Right, uh, and they're they're a very uh, libertarian libertarian organization. I know Penn Jillette is a big supporter of the Cato Institute okay. as well. The the magician Penn. Jillette. Right, 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 right. Um, oh, oh, uh, work conditions. That's another one, ah. man. People used to die doing their jobs <laughs> like every day, but the workplace now is safer than it's ever been. Yep. All right. So this one's put out by HumanProgress.org. In 1913, 61 U.S. workers out of 100,000 died in work-related accidents. This is also covered in Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now. Um, 
That number fell to 3.2 per 100,000 in 2015. That's a 95% reduction. Mm. 95% reduction. The reduction trend started before the passage of the Wagner Act in 1935 that legalized collective bargaining. And by the time the U.S. or by the time the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration was created in 1971, worker fatalities were roughly two-thirds lower than they had been prior to World War One. So let's unpack what that kind of means, right? So all of this stuff started happening. Work-related deaths and uh, work-related accidents were dropping before the Wagner Act of 1935. What that means is this drop, this reduction in uh, work-related accidents and deaths was not because of unions. Because that's what the Wagner Act did. It made it to where people could unionize legally. Right. It wasn't unions. Damn. It was capitalism. Right? Because companies started to realize that if my employees die off, I lose money at the end of the day. Right? Wow. I'm losing out. I'm losing on productivity and I'm losing money. I'm getting sued left and right. I'm in court all the time. We can't have this. So they started reducing work-related accidents and deaths all on their own without the Wagner Act. Mm. All right. Also, that second part where it says, uh, by the time the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration was created in 1971, worker fatalities were roughly two-thirds lower than they had been prior to World War I. Mm. All right. So the, uh, the, <laughs> the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration they pass a bunch of laws and regulations to make the workplace safer. But two-thirds, uh, it says, you know, here, but roughly two, uh, or that the uh, worker fatalities were roughly two-thirds lower than they had been prior to World War One, before, before the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration was even set up. So this is, again, capitalism at work, folks capitalism at work not government regulation it was capitalism all right now don't get me wrong i'm not opposed to laws that make things safer right i'm not opposed to it all right i am opposed to bloated federal organizations doing things that were that have already been done by the capitalist free market all right and billions or millions if not billions of dollars going to these organizations these federal organizations to do something that the free market will do all on its own <laughs> you know because it's not right. profitable to have your workers die it's not profitable to have your employees get hurt and be in the hospital all the time right nobody wants to work for a company that everyone knows <laughs> they get killed yeah. working for yeah you're done all right the free market isn't retarded all right uh, yeah people in the free market aren't stupid they're not going to march themselves into a death camp all right to make a ends meet to make a dollar they're right. not going to do that no they're going to find a company that isn't killing their employees and work for them. Make the most money they can at that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. So now we're going to segue into why people think the world's uh, getting worse. Interesting. We're, we're going to get into that. Nice. And uh, I do. I have a quote here that's, oh man, I love it too. Okay. It is by uh, Thomas Babington McCullough. Okay. Macaulay. Okay. I don't know. I've never met the guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's met you. But right? He's a he's a British historian, right? Okay. And he says, "On what principle is it that with nothing but improvement behind us, we to we are to expect nothing but deterioration before us?" So we've been improving throughout the history of mankind. Always steadily improving. 
why do we think things are getting worse when history shows it's always been getting better? Right. Always. Even through all the wars, through all the disease, through all the destruction, through all the mayhem, it's been getting better. So why do we assume that, it, you know, de facto it's going to get worse? All right. Well, Steven Pinker uh, in the book Enlightenment Now, uh-huh. he gives a couple reasons why people think it's getting worse. Um, and he had a discussion with Dr. Jordan B. Peterson on Dr. Jordan B. Peterson's podcast about this particular issue. And remember, pick up Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now. It's Read great. it. It's great. Read it. It's great. <laughs> so they discussed this uh, particular issue they called uh, availability heuristics. So availability heuristics are, to give a good example, um, tornadoes. Okay. So everyone knows tornadoes are terrible and destructive, right? Definitely. And you're probably more scared of a tornado than you are, say, a ladder, right? Right. More people fall off ladders and die every year than die from tornadoes. Definitely. But you're terrified of a tornado. You're not terrified of the prospect of ladders. Mm-hmm. And again, we go to that, you know, we were talking about with guns. Right. right? Nobody's calling for the elimination of ladders. Nobody's saying ladders kill people, mm-hmm. even though more people fall off ladders and die every year than people who die from tornadoes. It's called availability heuristics because tornadoes are in the news, right? Tornadoes are, they're, they're shocking. Whenever a tornado hits, like, you know, like something, you know. Something's it, going to happen. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's bad. You know, you get that, that rush of adrenaline even when you just hear about it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so it, it's available. It's more readily available, psychologically available. And so you think of it as a bigger problem than ladders. Though more people fall off ladders and die every year right. than die from tornadoes. Yeah. Also, uh, nuclear power. This one's fun. <laughs> uh, environmentalists especially are categorically against nuclear power. They're mm. against it. They think it's destructive to the environment. A, it's the cleanest form of energy we have. Even cleaner than solar. And it's safer than solar, too. There's a, how is it cleaner than solar? Well, to make solar panels... You have to use a lot of toxic chemicals, uh, and there's a lot of toxic waste created when you make solar panels. Got you. And the amount of energy the solar panels create, well, they don't create energy. They more convert it, mm-hmm. uh, the, or let's say generate. The more energy uh, that it, or the, the amount of energy that is generated by solar panels does not offset the amount of, uh, of environmental pollution done by the waste that is created to make solar panels. On top of that, more people fall off of roofs installing solar panels and get hurt and die than all the people who work in the nuclear industry. There is almost no one that dies working on nuclear. Wow. Almost no, and that's been the case for a long time, for decades now. Right, right. For decades now. Very few, if any, people die or get hurt working in nuclear power plants. Wow. But people fall off of roofs installing solar panels every day. Damn. And so in in a very real in a very real sense, a sense that can be measured empirically, solar power is more dangerous than nuclear power. Mm. But the average person doesn't think of it that way. They think of nuclear power because of instances like Chernobyl, Three Mile Island and uh, Fukushima. Right. That nuclear power is more dangerous, but it isn't. Fewer people have died with nuclear energy than with solar, solar power. power. Availability heuristics, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's available and it's more psychologically impacting. Gotcha. You think of it as, as uh, it, it, it jumps to the forefront of your mind. Right. Availability right. heuristics. Right, right. Right? Then it gets, in, uh, and then, of course, uh, 
with his discussion with Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, uh, Stephen Pinker also talks, and this is mostly Jordan B. Peterson who talks about this, about how the news media has become immensely negative. And we've all seen this, right? Mm -hmm. You turn on the news and it's a fire, it's a shooting, it's another school shooting, it's another war, all right? It, nobody, nobody in the media, and I love this, I think it was Steven Pinker who said this. He was like, he was like, nobody in the news media ever, you know, you don't, you don't ever turn on the, the news channel and you see this guy. It's like, we're coming to you from a country that's been at peace for 40 years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, you never hear that. They never do that. No. They always come to you from a country that's in turmoil. Yes. There's, there's some kind of terrible turmoil going on. Yep. I mean, it's even like on our local news. Like, well, why does all breaking news have to be bad? Why does every top story have to be bad? Well, I, it's because if it bleeds, it leads. Yes. Right? That's that's the saying that's been going on. If it bleeds, it leads. Our controversy sells, as they yes. put it. Yes, and that's the idea is that all this negative stuff sells. Yeah. Right? But I would contend that they're wrong. Yeah. I would contend that all this negative stuff sells because they haven't put out any of the positive. They don't even know. They haven't even tried. Right. I don't think they've even tried. All right? I would say that positivity sells more. Yeah. And if it were attempted, I think it'll sell real well. And that's what I hope to do with this show, the CC Coastal Bent, yes. right here at The Exchange. We're going to tell you how the world's getting better, Always. why it's getting better, and how you should work towards making it better yourself. Positivity. Right? And that, that's, that's one of my main goals right here with this show. Yeah. We're going to show the world that the, we're going to show everyone that the world's getting better and they themselves can contribute to the world getting better. Yes. Right? You definitely. can be a part of it instead of being on the sidelines just watching it happen. Mm -hmm. Right? But uh, the news media, it's it funny, uh, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson talks about why the news media is getting so negative now, hyperpolarized. Uh -huh. And I think he's spot on. He said it's because they're in their death throes. The news media, television news media, is dying. Oh, wow. It's dying. Okay. And it's dying because everyone's going to the internet for news. Okay. Everyone's going to the internet for a lot of things. For everything now. nowadays, yeah. And the reason is is because it isn't heavily regulated by the government. All of television is regulated by the government, the FCC. Uh, everything on the radio is regulated by the government, the FCC mm -hmm. again. Right? It's all regulated. Mm -hmm. And it has, and of course, it's not just regulated by the government, but it's also been around for so long that what's happening is that there's a rigid structure that has been created. This is the way we do things, mm -hmm. and we're not going to deviate from the way that we do things. And people are tired of it. Yeah, they're just getting damn tired of it. I can see that. The media's in their death throes, so they're trying to put out as much sensational material as humanly possible to stay afloat. Mm. And of course, it's not working. Their yeah. ratings are plummeting, all right? MSNBC, uh, let's see, uh, I can't even think of them off the top of my head because I haven't watched them like in Fox so News, long. You got CNN. Yeah, Fox News is one of them. You got CNBC, CMSNBC. Yeah, MSNBC. So, yeah, there you CNBC. go, that one. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, we saw this with newspapers, too. Yeah, yeah. Newspapers, yes. their readership has hit the floor. Oh, yes. You know, um, the, there's only a few doing well. The New York Times is one of them because they ported a lot of their stuff over to the internet. I mean, look at it's just kind of like I mean, if you want to go back then, it's like CDs with music. Yeah. You CDs, oh yeah. Uh, it's all online. It's all online. It's all online. iTunes is a thing now, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and so with the media and their being in their death throes, they're putting out more and more negative material. And as people consume this negative material, they think it's true. 
They think that it's all real and that's all that there is. Again, we go back to availability heuristics. So if everything they're seeing on the news media is negative, then they think that's all that's going on in the world. That the news media has covered it all and all they could find was horrifically negative stuff. And it's just dead wrong. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just like people nowadays too. I mean, kind of people just want to jump in zero one hundred quick. They want good now. I mean, they just want good now. They want it now. They want it now. Like if it's bad, let's hear. You know, it's just weird, man. We're in a weird time. It's in we're just in a very weird time. And, you know, I forgot to bring the quote. Uh, we've run into times like this before. You know, everything in history is cyclical. You're right. It all happens in cycles. Um, and I, I forgot to bring the quote, but it's from a Gnostic gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan B. Peterson, right. he, he brings it up quite a bit, um, especially in his Maps of Meaning uh, podcast that he did mm-hmm. for his book, Maps of Meaning, which we'll get into here in just a bit. Um, but it's a quote about how it's, it's in this book. It's an apocryphal book. It's not, it's, uh, it was considered for, for uh, uh, canonization in the Bible, mm-hmm. but they decided at the last minute, no, it doesn't, it won't go in there. All right. But in this book, it talks about how they, uh, how, and it's, it's saying like, so they reasoned unsoundly and they said, you know, everyone knows life is short and it's a, it's a fleeting light that's eventually put out like a candle and our breath is like smoke and it just, you breathe it out and it's gone. Our souls flicker away and there's no returning from mm-hmm. death. You know, it's all just pointless and meaningless. And that that particular book he's quoting is somewhere around it's somewhere around fifteen hundred to two thousand years old. So I mean, it's it's a really old book. And so uh, up to fifteen hundred to two thousand years ago, there were people saying, "Oh, life is just pointless. It's meaningless. Everything's getting worse. You don't need to worry about trying to make the world better because you're not gonna." You know. Yeah. And so we've been through this before. Ancient people dealt with it too, and they they combated it mostly through religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we'll get to that here in just a bit as well. Right. Uh, but I I think that people are are immensely negative now, like you know, because of the the news media and because of social media. Okay. I think social media has a lot to do with it. I mean, being uh, being negative and snarky and sarcastic and neurotic is cool on social media. If you're the neurotic guy that's always complaining about everything, mm-hmm. about how and and making it funny, right? You know, right, like right, right. making fun of uh, about how you know human population is growing and how people are going to end up eating each other and you know huddled in caves, right? You know how the environment's gonna is is being destroyed at a catastrophic rate. If you're that guy, then everyone's watching your feed. You know, right. They're all on your page. Right. Um, and it's just dead wrong. It Again, is. It's, it's dead not right. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Absolutely dead wrong. Um, there was a a writer uh, out of the New Yorker. Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? Here it is. Joshua Rothman. Okay. He wrote a really good article. Are things getting better or worse? And it's a piece that focuses on Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also focuses on on other books and other publications. What he found was really, really interesting. Like he focuses uh, for one part uh, on this book, uh, Suicide of the West. Mm. Uh, the conservative in- intellectual Jonah Goldberg argues that progressive activists are systemati- systematically dismantling the institutions fundamental to an enlightened society such as individualism, capitalism, and free speech. And I think he's dead on correct mm-hmm. that pro- people, you know, quote unquote progressives, I would call them regressives, um, they're, they're after free speech. Mm-hmm. They're after capitalism. Right? They're after the free market. And this is what has been advancing us as a species 
at an astronomical rate. Humanprogress.org put out an article showing the rate of growth, uh, human progress, uh, from Octavian to now. Okay. Octavian was a Roman emperor. Okay. Um, and he, well, it doesn't matter what he did. Right. <laughs> you know, but he was a Roman emperor. Octavian yeah. was um, a, a no, later known as Emperor Augustus. Okay. Uh, and he, he, he took over after... Caesar, Julius Caesar was murdered and, mm. and all of that. He right. was he was one of Julius Caesar's favorites. Gotcha. And he had to fight a war. To it was a civil war, and he took over. And they they tracked the progress of mankind from Octavian to now. And it's so crazy because it's this flat line from Octavian. You know, it's just flat, 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 flat through the Middle Ages, through the medieval times. Flat, 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 flat. <laughs> then you get to the 19th century, and it just hockey sticks. Wow. It just boom shoots up huge. Right, and when they looked at the reasons why this happened at that time, capitalism, free markets, the industrial revolution, and the industrial revolution couldn't have happened without capitalism and free markets. Right, it was also due to liberal democracies, which is that's what we are here in the United States. We're what's called a liberal democracy. Right, we're a democratic republic in the most technical sense, right. but a democratic republic falls into the area of liberal democracy. Of course. Right, so liberal democracy, free speech, because without speech and free speech, you can't think. You understand? That's how you think. Right. You, when you have an idea, you bounce it out to someone else. Mm -hmm. They bounce it back to you with what they think, and then you modify what you think based on what they said. Right. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you both think alike. You know. Either way, you can't really think without free speech. Mm -hmm. If if speech is limited, you can't bounce ideas back and forth. Right. And so new innovations, new ideas, can't be. Uh, they can't mature. Mm -hmm. They just stay in your head in their adolescent form and rattle around in there. All right. So right now the left is after free speech. They're after capitalism. Right. Right. And and that's just going to lead to regression. That's all that's going to lead to is we're going to go backwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he goes on. Uh, Even as enlightenment, which he's referring to the book. Now celebrates our ingenuity. It suggests that there's something bratty about humankind. We just don't want to admit we have it as good as we have it. All right? In It's Better Than It Looks, Reasons for Optimism in an Age of Fear, the journalist Greg Easterbrook offers a wide-ranging account for our pessimism. Among liberals, a focus on marginalized groups has led to the competitive articulation of suffering, creating a culture of majority victimhood in which every group trumpets its grievances. I think this is spot on, too. Mm. Every single group, no matter who you are, you're in a a large group, and that group has to trumpet its grievances. It's got to say how you got it so bad. That way you can petition the government for some um, benefit. Right. You know? Right. And so it's it's so crazy what's being taught in college right now is something called postmodernism, something that uh, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson talks a lot about, and uh, Eric Weinstein as well. Um, they talk about how in, in college now, postmodernism teaches that individual identity doesn't matter, mm. right? That all that matters is group identity, mm. right? And so everyone's a part of a group. So if you're black, you're part of the, you know, the the african group the african-american right, if you're in america right. you're the african-american group right we, you know and if you're gay you're part of the gay group <laughs> yeah right if you're a lesbian you're part of the lesbian group if you're trans you're part of the trans group and those groups have to stay separate they can't be a part of a larger group mm-hmm. you know they all have to be these separate groups and that all that mankind does this is what postmodernism says all that mankind does all that groups do is fight amongst each other for power that's it 
And in fact, right now, what they would say is me talking to you, having this conversation with you, they would say, I'm trying to dominate you. Oh, wow. And you're trying to dominate me. And that's all we can do. Damn. That's it. That's crazy. There's no understanding. There's no like, oh, I just want to understand you. I want to figure out where you're coming from. Yeah. No. Nope. None of that. That's kind of happening. No, it's all just me trying to dominate you and you trying okay. to dominate right, me. Right, right, right. And so postmodernism, which is being taught in colleges as we speak, mm-hmm. is telling kids that you're a part of a group and only a part of that group and you must represent that group. Your individual identity means nothing. Your merits as an individual mean nothing. Right? And so everything about you is dictated by the group. Damn. Yes, that's, that's rough. That's and it's wrong. It's that's not so wrong. It's dead wrong. You know? I, can't, I can't believe they're teaching that. They're now. teaching it. That blows Absolutely. my mind that they're actually teaching stuff like that. Absolutely. Rothman goes on. Wow. He says claims of liability and compensation have increased. Easterbrook, no- Easterbrook notes reflecting a rise of punitive society obsessed with the assignment of blame. Right. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, reflecting a rise of, of, of a punitive society obsessed with the assignment of blame. So we're seeing more and more people getting sued nowadays. Mm-hmm. That's, that's essentially what he's saying. And so what this means is there are more people out there who are willing to blame their circumstances on someone else and say, you have to pay for it. You have to pay for my mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you have to pay in money. Large amounts of it. I mean, there are very few punitive cases that are just like, you know, $10,000. Most of them are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. You know know what I'm saying? Like, Like, oh, yeah. Especially the ones that hit the news media. Mm -hmm. They're these huge court cases where it's someone was being horrifically irresponsible and then they sued a company, you know, like the the famous one with McDonald's. Mm -hmm. We all remember when the lady burned herself (laughs) with McDonald's hot coffee. And it was somehow McDonald's fault that her dumbass couldn't keep her coffee out of her damn lap. I remember that. <laughs> it had to be McDonald's fault yep. because they didn't tell her how hot the coffee was. <laughs> you know, ridiculous. How stupid is that? That's someone assigning blame, yep. trying to trying to take away their own responsibility, trying to abdicate responsibility and put it on someone else, someone that can pay. You know, right? Most definitely. Rothman goes on. He says, oh, yeah, fewer people attend worship services where they might hear a message of hope or uh, have an uh, or have uplifting interactions with their neighbors. Thanks to cable news, talk radio and social media, society has become opinionized and is now it is now expected that all will possess strong views. This is fed the rise of catastrophism or the continual overstatement of what's wrong. Everything is terrible is a stronger view than things are pretty decent. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Everything is terrible is a much stronger view than things are pretty decent. decent. Yeah. yeah. No, I get you. I got you exactly. And I think the attendance of like worship that. service. Yeah. I, I think the attendance of worship services is is also another big one. Oh, yeah, me too. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, we talked about that last time about how yeah. when you go to church, you don't, I mean, you know, you always get from the, the media and you get from movies and television shows, the fire and brimstone preacher. Right. You know, who's always out there talking about how you're going to go to hell. Yeah. There are so very few of those. No, yeah. Most worship services, most church services, whether they be Catholic, they be Protestant, whether they be Buddhist, yeah. whether they be Baptist, Pentecostal. Yeah. I mean, Judaism, yeah. even Islam, yes. right? 
they they are giving you a message of hope. Yes. They're telling you how you know God loves you yes. and wants your life to be fantastic. Yes, and that's you all know? you have to do is give it to God and just give it all to God, and you're fine. You're good. Yeah, like you're good. Like don't worry about it no more. Give it to Him. Give, give well, it all to Him. And, I, I think I told you a quote um, a few weeks back. Either pray or worry, but but don't do both. Right, either, right, right. Either pray or worry. Don't do both. Because I mean, we can. You know, like you're on a plane, you can sit there and you know pray, say a prayer, and then be worried about it. You know, go, you know, what's God gonna say? Like, oh, okay, well, yeah, show so much you trust me. That was no waste. I mean, that was a waste of time doing that. You know, no, exactly. Pray, and, worry, don't do both. And like I said last time, you know, I, I I always encourage people to pray, even if you're not religious, even if you're a straight up atheist. Yeah. Because when you pray, let's say you're an atheist and you don't believe you're talking to God. Yeah. Well, you're putting a question in your mind. Yeah, and that question's rolling around, mm-hmm. and maybe your unconscious mm-hmm. mind is gonna find an answer to the question, an answer to the problem right. if you just simply pose it. Yes, you know. You know, this is the thing, though, Scott. This is the thing I'm, I'm gonna say while we're, we're on the subject. You know, like the whole thing with God's real touchy to certain people because some people, if stuff doesn't go, you know, I, I've known, I'm sure you have too. I've known people that have gone to church and something goes wrong. That's it. They stop believing. They don't have faith no more. They stop going to church. This is my question for everybody out there listening. This is my question for everybody out there listening to the show. Whether it don't matter where you're from, what religion you're from, we already know what to do when God says yes. We already know what to do when we're blessed. When God says yes, my question for all of y'all is: What are you gonna do when God says no? What are you gonna do when God says no? Yeah, not not everything. I mean, you're just you're just a you know one person, yes. and you don't know how everything works. And so you could be asking for something like prosperity. But what if you becoming prosperous is going to end up hurting someone really bad? Exactly. You know, but you don't know that. Yeah. And so you keep on praying for prosperity, and it doesn't come. Yeah. And so you think God's abandoned you, yeah. or it might not be the right time. Right. And and I think that's a ridiculous notion. Yeah. First off, because that's just that right now mentality. I'm not I'm not prosperous right now. Right. I'm not prosperous right now, so God must hate me. Yeah. Now, maybe you're not doing things right. Mm-hmm. All right. There's a reason why people used to have elaborate religious rituals. Mm-hmm. All right. And as another thing that Dr. Jordan B. Peterson talks about a whole lot, elaborate religious ritual, especially sacrifice, was done so in order to indicate to yourself that you were very very serious about what you're about to do right right so when you go out to a field and you take a lamb a a lamb suckling from its mother's teat you take that lamb and you cut its throat you kill it you bleed it out you burn it on an altar and send the smoke up to god that's you indicating to yourself i'm about to do something real serious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if i don't follow through then this poor little lamb died for nothing right you know, right. on top of that, not to mention the fact that you made a sacrifice to God and then reneged on the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You didn't follow through. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but let's say you're not religious at all. Yeah. And, you, you know, the, the lamb died for no reason. Right. You went through this ritual for nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the reason people went through those rituals was to indicate to themselves that they're going to do something very serious. They're going to take it very seriously and they were going to follow the hell through. Right. Which is a problem that our generation has. I'm, you know, I'm in my 30s and people yeah. in their 30s now, they don't follow through with much of anything. No. They start and stop stuff 
on a on, at the drop of a hat. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, following through and and finishing something is something that my generation has a very big problem with. Yep. Um, and it's I think a lot of it is because we don't have elaborate rituals mm-hmm. in order to indicate to ourselves that we are very serious about what we're doing. Now, don't get me wrong; I don't think we should be taking lambs out the field and cutting their throats and burning them on an altar. Right. But we do probably need some kind of ritual. Something to indicate to ourselves. And you can do this on your own. You can develop a ritual of your own right. that that indicates to you that what you're about to do is extremely serious and you're not going to stop right in the middle of it. Right. right. You're going to finish. Right. Right. It's also Dr. Jordan B. Peterson talks about how it's also how we discovered the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And thinking about the future, people take that for granted. Mm-hmm. They really take that for granted. They think we could always think about the future. They have no idea that it was a process that took thousands of years to figure out. Thousands of years of us making sacrifices. Because what's a sacrifice? A sacrifice is you making a bargain with the future. Mm -hmm. You're bargaining with the future. Hey, future, I'm going to sacrifice something now in order to get something later. Right. Right? That's why you work. Right. You work. All right? You work for now yeah. you're sacrificing your free time now yes to get money in the future right it's a sacrifice just like any other religious sacrifice it's yes. a sacrifice yes and it took us thousands of years to develop that notion yes. before that we just lived for now all the time mm-hmm. you know like other animals uh, i think uh, i think it was jordan peterson who who talked about is you put you know fucking 20 pounds of meat 30 right. 30 pounds of meat in front of a wolf he's going to eat the whole thing He's gonna eat until he's sick. But but at the same yeah, you're right. At because the same he's time, thinking about now. Exactly. That <laughs> sacrifice though has to be smart too. So let's in, in that meaning, okay, so I go three years and I save oh let's just easy easy math. I save thirty thousand dollars. You know, don't go blow it in Vegas. Right, right. Just the same thing being don't go out don't go to church one Sunday and then go out and go commit a big sin, I don't know, kill somebody. I, I don't know. And be like, well, I'll just ask forgiveness on Sunday. It's okay. It doesn't work that way, right? Well, and, and what you, I think what you're saying is, is, is that something like church attendance is a, it's a lifelong thing, and right. you're gonna slip up. You're gonna make mistakes. No, you're going to. You're gonna make mistakes, but the the idea is to try every day. Yes, to try every yes. day. Yes, it isn't. It isn't something that you just okay. I did some good things. I'm done doing good yes. things. Yes, you know, it's you have to continue trying. It's a lifelong endeavor. And and so and something that person where it's always where for me if I tell myself that. Oh my God! I gotta be good the rest of my life. It sounds impossible, right? But if I go, I wake up every day and say, "Okay, just for today, gotta be good," and do that every day, you'll be fine, right? Right. And it's you gotta you gotta be thinking about the future. Yes. Because if you're not thinking about the future, you're just gonna follow whatever impulse hits you. You know, you're gonna be a man. I'm gonna get drunk. I'm gonna get high. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go bang this bad bitch I know. Like I'm gonna go fulfill all of my immediate needs. And what you find when you do that is that fulfilling your immediate needs constantly yes. leaves your future desolate. And let me ask you this, Scott, because it's not it's not off subject since we're on this. Let yeah, me yeah. ask you this: um, What about those people? What do you think those people that do say, "Well, I might not be here in two weeks. Why not just why fuck it? I might not be here next month. Why sacrifice for the future? There might not be a future for me. What about those people? Well, it's a very defeated mentality. That's what that that person is defeated. Right. They believe that they're not going to make it another two weeks or another two months or another two years. But what if those? But what if those people in that same time can say like, "Well, okay, 
let's let's play that they say well i don't know what if god takes me in a month that's up to god not me you know in that sense i i think they need to go back to their to their bible um okay in in the bible it talks about and i can't remember exactly where it's at now i feel bad because i don't have the exact (laughs) reference but it essentially says and I, i do believe it's paul who says this okay um live your life as if the uh the revelation, the apocalypse, Jesus is coming back any second, right? Okay. He says that. He says, live, or live your life expecting that to happen any second, but also live your life as if that's never going to happen, mm. essentially. Okay. All right? So, you know, be ready, but at the same time, also live as if you're going to live forever. Right. Right? Okay. Okay. Uh, and man, I, I I totally butchered that. Like, uh, I I do understand. <laughs> I, I, I do understand that though. Like, don't go to church and be like, I'm gonna sin afterwards because you don't know. Just you yeah. know, always be the best you can, be the best person you can because you never know. But act like you're gonna live forever. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I know because like you know we're talking about the Bible and church. Uh, I mean, I guarantee people are going, oh, that's a damn Christian show. <laughs> Not exactly. No. Oh, folks, you got to stick with us. We're going to get into all kinds of mythology later on oh, um, in, in later episodes. We're, we're going to delve into uh, ancient mythology and how mythology teaches us how to make our lives better and how to make the world a better place, definitely. how to encounter chaos or encounter the unknown, which is what we do every day and right. do so successfully. Um, and continue to be successful throughout time instead of hitting points of success and then dropping down right. into uh, into the, you know desolate oblivion no, and then rise to be a back coaster. up. You don't want to do that. This ain't you a roller coaster, wanna, right? You want to continue to be successful. Yep. Um, and so we're definitely going to get into that in later episodes. Um, right now we're going to focus. Where were we? Ah, yes, yes, yes. Rothman. So Rothman continues uh, with his. With it, oh no, we finished Rothman. That's right, we, we finished we, that we that did. really great New Yorker article. Our things, that was great though. Yeah, our things getting great. better, or our things getting worse. Um, so check out check that out on the New Yorker. Uh, it's on their website. They allow you so many articles before you have to actually like pay okay. to see more articles. Uh, it's Are Things Getting Better or Worse by Joshua Rothman. It's a really good article. It's a long article too. Check it um, out. And we barely touched. We barely touched it. I mean, yeah. there's a lot more to that article. Right. Um, I want to move on to The Blaze here. Uh, the Blaze, March 19th, 2019. Mm. An article they put out. Millennials say life today is more stressful than ever before. Oh, God. Wow. Ever. Wow. Before. Oh, my God. Get a tissue. Yeah. And they broke it down to 16 reasons why. <laughs> why? 16 reasons. I, I like the subtitle of the article. Slow Wi-Fi and low phone batteries have millennials all stressed out. <laughs> all right, Jesus so I'm just going to go over the article man. real quick. More than half of American millennials, 58%, say life today is more stressful than ever before. And a third believe their lives are more stressful than the average person's life. So a third of all millennials think that their life, my life, is way more stressful than everyone else's life. All right. The one poll survey commissioned by Indoca, E-N-D-O-C-A, asked 2,000 Americans ages 22 to 37 about their overall stress level, as well as the top causes for their frustration. Climate change and racial inequality didn't even make the list. 
Didn't even make the list. Well, that says enough right there. So let's go through the list. They listed off the top 16 reasons why they think their lives are more stressful than ever before, despite the fact that they don't have to deal with cholera. They don't have to deal with influenza. Oh, you get the flu and you're down for a week. Oh, God forbid. Oh, Jesus. You got a fever for a week. Jesus. Oh. And marijuana is legal now, by the way, in most states. In most states, yeah. Don't get it. You have indoor plumbing. You have cars. You have trains. You have airplanes. You can get places in a matter of minutes. It used to take months. You can get money now and not even work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, on the internet. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's hear it. Here are the 16 reasons. Oh. And they're going to make you puke. They're just going to make you vomit. It already does, but. So, number one, losing wallet or credit card, which is your fault. If you lose your wallet or your credit card, that's your fault. That's your fault. It's not like something like in the past, like cholera. That isn't your fault. You drank some tainted water. There's no way you could have known it was tainted. And if you didn't drink water, you just died. You know? And you know what? I'm going to say I lost my credit card and wallet more times I've been drunk than I did that. So I'm going to say they were probably drunk. So, okay, next. Yeah, that's your fault, right? Your fault. So, (laughs) oh my God. Losing wallet or credit card. Arguing with partner. (laughs) Arguing with partner. This is why our lives are so much more stressful than they were during World War II, Mm. during World War I, even during the Vietnam War, the Korean War. Way more stressful because we argue with our partners. All right, get this. Commute or traffic delays. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have access to this amazing machine that can drive like 70 miles per hour plus. Right, I can get from A to B in a matter of minutes that it used to take days to get yeah. there. But I'm going to bitch and moan and complain because the traffic was bad. Oh, God. Losing phone. Your Losing fault. your phone. That's your, your fault. fault. Right? Arriving to work late. Your fault. your fault. Slow Wi-Fi. Not your fault. But who gives a damn? You know? <laughs> You're not contracting some horrible disease. You don't have to cut down half a forest to stay warm in the winter. I mean, pay for better Wi-Fi? I don't know. That's yeah. your fault, actually. See, I, I, <laughs> I mean, it could be. I mean, but Dude. slow Wi-Fi. Who gives a damn? Are you serious? You're going to bitch about slow Wi-Fi? Phone battery dying. That's your fault. Yes. Poor planning on your part. Right? Forgetting password. Your Better fault. fault. Credit card fraud. Not your fault. But really, not that big a deal. Most credit card fraud now... You get your credit card stolen or, you know, someone uses your credit card number. The company catches it. Yeah, your credit card's going to be suspended for a little bit or your bank account if this is bank, you know. But how, but how many times nowadays does that really happen? Come it does happen a lot. A lot more than I yeah, think it, probably? It does. Yeah, really? it, is a, it is a widespread crime. Okay. But the cool thing about it is, is because we live in a free market, right, the free market has found some really great solutions. Okay. There are several services that you can get now that protect your identity, that keep people from being able to steal it, or if someone steals it, they report it immediately, um, and it, it gets cleared up very quickly. A lot of banks are very good at clearing this up. I've had my identity stolen before. Oh, you have? The, yeah, the bank caught it. Okay. And yeah, my account was shut down for like a week. Okay. I couldn't use it, which kind of sucked. Right. But at the same time, I got all my money back, and the whole thing was resolved. Cool. You know? So that's, you know, it's really not that big a deal. It's not life-threatening. Yeah. It's not life-threatening. No. Okay? All right. So forgetting phone charger. That's another one. Forgetting phone charger. Your Your fault. fault. Yeah. Losing or misplacing keys. Your fault. fault. Paying bills. (sighs) Seriously, paying bills. Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got to stop that one there. Yeah, yeah. Paying bills. Yeah, paying your bills. Keeping the lights on. That's what's stress. That's... 
So being a man or a woman is being stressful. Yeah, being a productive member of society that keeps your damn bills paid. Or being a man or a woman. Yeah, keeps your damn bills paid. I hope you don't have kids, guys. Okay, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Job interviews. Jesus Christ. You're about to go in and get a job and make more money than the vast majority of human beings. This is in America, of course. Make more money than most human beings have ever made in the history of mankind. And you're going to bitch about the interview process? Two, by the way, pay your bills. Yeah, to okay. pay your bills. Go ahead. <laughs> Phone screen breaking. Oh, Jesus. You still have access to this amazing piece of technology that connects you Look with the this. whole world. Look at this. I don't care. Yeah, point it towards the camera. I don't care. Oh, you can't really see it because your phone's real bright. Oh, and, yeah. But uh, it's, uh, it, it doesn't He's got some cracks in his phone screen is what it's he's showing. It's been like that, you. and it's the least thing I'm worried about in my yeah, life yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really you still have access to this amazing piece of technology that connects you with everyone around the world, can get you an endless amount of information, and you're bitching because the phone cracked, the screen oh, cracked. Who gives a damn? Credit card bills. That's your fault. <laughs> you didn't have to get a credit card, dummy. You didn't have to charge all that shit on your credit I mean, card. Yeah. You could have just bought it with your own damn money. Yep. Oh, and That's then dumb. the last one engine light coming on again you have access to this amazing machine this amazing piece of technology that can get you from a to b faster than human beings have ever been able to do it and you can do it on your own you don't have to get on a train you don't have to get on a you know a a large trolley you can do it all on your own you can get in there and the engine light comes on and you're gonna bitch and moan and complain about it and say these are the reasons why life is more stressful than it's ever been before have you not read a history book do you have no idea what people have gone through in the past Obviously not. They haven't because they couldn't uh, have. And this, these are millennials, so they're they're in our age range. I know that's what that. Honestly, that's why I'm sad. Like yeah. I'm gonna be thirty next Friday. This coming Friday. Yeah, in three days, and uh, this is sad. Oh yeah, yeah. These are uh, and uh, the age range. I do believe for a millennial, and I may be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure it's like twenty seven to thirty seven, something like that. I, I may be wrong about that. Maybe a little bit younger. Yeah, maybe 25 to 37. Maybe a little bit younger something than like that. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, these are people who obviously aren't reading books. They're not reading any history books. No. They have no idea the 3,000-year history. It's, it's actually a little more than 3,000 A little bit more. It's closer to 4,000 yes. years of written history. Um, and they, they have no idea. They're ignoring it. They're acting as if, as if like now is the most stressful time ever. Now is not. Now is the least stressful time in human history if you live in a first world nation like the United States. Right. Now you you don't have to. All you have to worry about is your check engine light. You don't have to worry about going to the outhouse at midnight when it's negative 20 and getting eaten by a damn cougar while you're trying to take a shit. (laughs) Because that happened. Yes, that's the thing. That stuff happened. Oh, man, this is crazy. You know, you don't have to worry about not having indoor plumbing. You have indoor plumbing. If you live in the first world, you have indoor plumbing. You have running water. You have you have access to to medical technology that is that would seem like a miracle to people a hundred years ago. And guess what? They're right. It is a miracle. Yes, it, it's a miracle. It is. You're you're a living miracle. Yes, oh first world God. society is a miracle, folks. Oh my God! These people are killing and, me. Yeah, man. this. And that, when I read that article, like I just wanted to puke. 
They, I just wanted to throw up. They man. stress me out. They, right? They, that's my number one stress. Them. Them. Yeah. They stress but, me the uh, hell and out. You know why I find it weird? Because you know, I, I don't know if it's weird, but I enjoy paying bills. It makes me feel good. Makes you feel like you're actually accomplishing something. Oh, I'm a right? man. I work for this shit. Yeah. Like, it makes you feel like you're actually accomplishing something. I mean, the, the, the only thing, like, I'm, I mean, I'm, and just like you, I'm opposite. I would, if I could work more, I would. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, call me in, baby. Yeah, let give me. me those hours. What? I want to work. Yeah, give me the OT, baby. Yeah, dude. And and that I I I I think that brings us to our kind of like our, our wrap up. You know, kind of like conclusion. How how we can get people to turn this around to stop having this negative, misanthropic, anti-human, anti-progress uh, mentality. Right. Um. And I think a lot of the answers fall in religion and in mythology. Okay. Um. Religion and mythology have taught us throughout history how to deal with life. Okay. That's what it's all about. It that's, that's what mythology and religion is all about, how to deal with life. Mm-hmm. And if you go through all the stories, they, they all tell you the same thing. They all tell you life is difficult. There's no getting around that. No getting around the fact that life is difficult and full of suffering. I mean, that's the Buddhist tenet. That's their number one tenet. Life is suffering. That's thing one in Buddhism. Life is suffering. Mm. And the only way to get around how difficult things are is to understand that things are difficult and take them on voluntarily. You take on the burden voluntarily. Look at the story of Jesus, the story of Christ. Mm -hmm. He took on the burden of dying for mankind in the story. And whether or not you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus was God, doesn't matter. Right. The principles of the story still are applicable, right? So Jesus took on this burden. It was voluntary. He even asked God at some, at one point, like, do I really have to do this? And God tells him, no, you really don't. You really don't have to. But he does it anyway. He takes on the burden voluntarily. He gets tortured and killed in one of the worst fashions ever imaginable, right? And through this hardship, this horrific hardship, he then rises again. He's reborn. And this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor for how you deal with life, right? You voluntarily take on the burden of life. You voluntarily take on all of the hardship because life is hard, it hurts, and it sucks. You take that on and you bear that burden, you carry it uphill. And there are times where you are not going to feel like you can carry it. There are times where you're going to feel like you want to give up and just die, right? But if you carry it through and you finish what you started, it's going to kill the old you. Yeah. The yes. old you is going to burn away, yes. right? Like the underbrush in a forest fire. When a forest fire gets sparked, all the underbrush and the dead wood burns away, much like the, the allegory of the phoenix. Mm-hmm. The phoenix burns its old body and is reborn from its ashes. Definitely. And that's exactly what the story of Jesus is about. Jesus goes through a terrible hardship that quite literally kills him. And then he is reborn, a whole new entity, a new being. And that's what that's what mythology and religion tells us, folks. You need to pay attention to religion and mythology. Whether you're religious or not, it doesn't matter. It gives you the tools to figure out how to deal with the hardship that is life. Yes. Because yes. there's no getting around it. Yes. It's no. going to be hard. Nope. And it's going to suck. And you know, and some people, when they hear that, it's actually a relief. Instead of getting depressed about that, they're like, oh, really? Life is suffering? Whew. So it's all like, I'm not the only one. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah, that's like, what it is. I'm not the only one. Yes. You know? Yes, life is suffering. You're yep. not the only one. Oh, we no. all go through it. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. We all go through it. 
And the way you mitigate the suffering is you voluntarily take on the suffering. You carry it uphill as far as you can, and then your old self dies. The yeah. old part of you that hated doing that, that hated having to bear the burden, that hated having to work so hard just to make it, that person dies. Yep. And you're reborn mm -hmm. into a whole new existence, an existence that doesn't give a damn about life being suffering. No. In fact, enjoys the fact that suffering is an integral part of life because you know it makes you better. It becomes a challenge. Exactly. It becomes a challenge that you want to take on every day. And that's the way I look at it, man. Like, like, I just made the comment, I love paying bills. I love it because it's a challenge. Exactly. It's it's a challenge, man. It's not. It's not easy, and that's why it's fun. Yes. Nothing worth doing is easy. Yes. Nothing no. worth doing is easy. No. That's one thing I want to talk about to everybody out there too. Like, if if man, if you go to zero from one hundred just like that in your life, man, it's not real. I went well, and that's that an way. indicator that it's all about to fall apart. And I wouldn't want it. That, I wouldn't want that way. Like me, I'm probably. Probably like it's I'm at seventy three right now. Probably I don't want to go zero to one hundred and a snap of a finger, man. It's not real. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. I don't. I don't right. want it to happen like that. Well, and, and we've already found you know with lottery winners, people that go from being really poor to getting yeah. hundreds of millions or just a couple million dollars, they lose it all within a year or so, and they they go into complete crisis mode. That's what it is, you know, especially if they had a cocaine addiction, you know. <laughs> you know, it's one of like my favorite rappers. Ever today, Cole has an awesome saying, and I go by this. Mm -hmm. He says, "There's beauty in the struggle, ugliness, and success." Absolutely, absolutely. It's all about the struggle, folks. Yeah. It's all about That's the, the journey, struggle. man. That's the beautiful part of this yeah. struggle. The harder you work, the the better it's going to be. The better the payoff is, yep. and the harder you work, the I mean, the more suffering you're going to encounter. Yes, and you're going to have to voluntarily face that suffering again. We're going to get into this in later episodes. Yep. Um, I can't. We can't really delve into it right now. We're actually running short on time. Um, we're running deathly short on time, actually. <laughs> uh, we. I mean, I know we've got at least another yeah. hour left in us, but yeah. we do have to wrap it up uh, here pretty soon. I want to take this time to go ahead and mention DTG yes. Down to Garment. Uh, they're a fantastic company. They made this shirt you're seeing right here. Hustle until the haters ask you if you're hiring. Actually, this exchange baseball <laughs> tee as well. Yeah, yeah. With also, the, uh, the baseball tee that Jeff well, is I, wearing I there. It's a little bit dirty, but it's all right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the DTG is a fantastic company. They do things differently than most t-shirt companies. Most t-shirt companies do screen printing, right? Yes, yes. And we've all seen it when you got a screen printed t-shirt. You wash it enough times, it cracks up. It starts to look real bad. Well, with mm -hmm. DTG, they do direct to the garment, right? Direct to the garment. It doesn't crack up over time. It looks really good. Um, tell them that the CC Coastal Bent sent you. Tell them that Scott sent you. Tell them that Jeff sent you. Uh, you can get a hold of them at downtogarment.com. Uh, you can also give them a call at 361-857-7388. 361-857-7388. Down to garment. We're down if you are. <laughs> they really do. They make great clothes. Oh, I've been, awesome, I've been yes. wearing, ever since I discovered down to garment, I've been wearing down to garment stuff. Definitely. Uh, because it just looks real good. And it feels it real feels good, great. too. It feels great. Um, also want to, again, give another big shout out to The Exchange. Uh, Jeremy Wells, Xavier Ramos, uh, Tony Nichols, uh, J.D. Heinrich. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't miss anybody, did I? Hank Harrison. Oh, yeah, Hank Harrison. Hank Harrison. <laughs> Just kidding, Hank. Just kidding, Hank. I didn't miss you. <laughs> Hank Harrison, of course. Uh, also, I'm just going to throw it out Dave Worth as well. Yeah, David Worth. Yeah, oh, yeah. Shout out to David Worth. Bringing uh, some great musicians. Yeah. He's got an eye for talent, man. There's no one else like him. His oh, yeah. Sound, he can run a soundboard like no one I ever heard Oh, before. yeah. He's fantastic at what he does. Also, next Tuesday here at the Exchange, downtown yes. Corpus Christi, we've got the next Comedy Exchange. The last Tuesday of every month, uh, we do the Comedy Exchange here at the Exchange. Um, we're going to have Tina La Cochina in. Mm-hmm. We're going to have uh, Max Richards. Of course, he's always hosting. Fantastic host. Definitely. Uh, we're going to have Birdo Garcia. Birdo is great. If you've Birdo, never seen Birdo. I've never seen Birdo. He does a Starship Troopers bit, which is something most comedians, I've never heard a comedian do a Starship Troopers bit. He does one that will have you on the floor laughing. Really? If you're a fan of the Starship Troopers movie, like you got to hear his Starship Troopers <laughs> bit. It is so good. Next Tuesday, starting at 9 p.m. Central Time. Come on in. Tickets are only $10. It's only $10 to see some of the best comedy in the Coastal Bend area. You'll probably see uh, us here. Oh, yeah, definitely. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I get stage time if they need an opener. Uh, That's right, me, Scott Brooks. (laughs) I'll do do some some comedy uh, to open up for the other comedians. Uh, It's Taco Tuesday, every Tuesday. All right, so that means Dollar Street Tacos, the roasted pork tacos, I feel like are the very best. It takes eight and a half hours to even prepare the pork. Yep. It's Xavier Ramos's mother's recipe. Yes, awesome oh, recipe. Amazing. Just tender, it's melts amazing in your stuff. mouth. It's just wonderful stuff. Definitely. Chicken enchilada soup that'll blow you away. I'll kill people for that soup. <laughs> Seriously, I think I, I have. Lo- I love it so much. Uh, you know, we're always running daily deals. You know, um, always like Monday's Martini Monday. Yep. Uh, $4 Mexican beers, uh, Tuesdays, Taco Tuesday. So we got the Dollar Street Tacos. we got the Chicken Enchilada Soup, $3 Drafts, $3 uh, Select Tequilas, $3 Margaritas. Uh, Wednesdays, we got Wine Down Wednesday, half-off bottles of wine, $4 wine glasses. Thursdays, Flip Night, yep. Flip a Coin. You win the, the coin toss. Uh, you get a, what is it, a $2 well, $3 draft. draft yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Friday is Fireball Friday. Uh, Three dollar Fireball. Three dollar flavored vodkas. Yes. Yep. Excuse me. Uh, Saturday's double sin. So if you're in the uh, yes. if you're in the uh, service industry, you get twenty percent off all your food and drinks. Twenty percent off. And get this: even if it's not Saturday, if it's any other day, you get ten percent off your food and drinks if you're in the service industry. Yep. I, you know, I, I don't really know of any other restaurant, bar, or establishment in South Texas that does that that gives people discounts just for being in the service industry because yeah. we we want to tell the service industry we appreciate you. Exactly. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. We appreciate you. Yes. Uh, you know. Yep. yep. Uh, so, you know, I definitely want to give a big shout-out to the, the Exchange, letting us do this podcast here, letting us speak our minds. Uh, I wanted to get into so much more. Um, we're going to have to cut it short, but, man. Oh, but if you are listening, probably next episode – I, I know I'm gonna be here on Sunday. I um I'm opening this Sunday, mm-hmm. so um I don't know what your plans are for this Sunday or Monday or t- Tuesday, but it'll be one of those next uh those three days for sure. We'll shoot our next show. I think we should do I think we should do one on Sunday, uh that focuses on mythology. Okay. Uh, I think uh we'll do I think we can focus on like 
and this is one I wanted to get into today was the story of Cain and Abel. Ooh, yes. We just ran way too long. We're, yeah, I mean, well, we're, well, we're running over right now. We're getting cool. <laughs> That's yeah. why I keep looking up. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do the story of Cain and Abel. Um, I think we should get into the story of the Enuma Elish, mm. the Mesopotamian creation. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I've been reading that story for uh, on and off for like a decade. Like I'll read it like once or twice a year. I've nice. been doing that. Um, I think uh, maybe we can get into Horus and Osiris a bit. And these are all things that Dr. Jordan B. Peterson talks about a lot. When I first ran across Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, I was like, this guy's reading everything I've been reading. How did I not know about this guy? You That's know? awesome. And That's so, awesome. yeah, he, he, he gets into all these mythology stories uh, and, and how they teach us to live our lives in such a way that we can be successful all the time, how to mitigate chaos, how to meet chaos and meet uh, not just chaos, but any kind of adversary head on and defeat it and use that adversarial situation that situation where you're butting heads with somebody or something it can also be a natural force you know right how to turn that conflict into success um and i, I think it's absolutely indispensable information and it's one of the reasons why people are so negative today why um why people have a dark outlook on the future is because they've forgotten the lessons that were taught in mythology that were taught throughout the ages for thousands of years. Yes. Usually people used to memorize these stories. Oh yeah. I mean, stuff like the Iliad and the Odyssey mm -hmm. were done by word of mouth for a long time before they were ever written down. The old Testament and the Bible was done word of mouth thousands of years before it was ever written down. Nuts. Yeah. Nuts. I mean, people used to memorize the whole damn thing. That's crazy. You know, most people nowadays can't even memorize article headlines. <laughs> they can't even memorize the headlines. For real. You know, they can't memorize their passwords that they use every day. No kidding, right? That's the one that gets yeah, me. Yeah, they can't memorize their passwords. But these people had entire books memorized. And the reason they had them memorized is because they were damn important. Mm -hmm. And they had something to say, something that touched. Uh, it's something deep in the human soul. That, you know, that we recognized as true. Mm -hmm. And so I, we're definitely going to focus on those. I think we oh, should yeah. do. I know we want to do um, an episode focusing on abortion, but we're going to have to wait to get Sarah Marie Simon here. Yes. Local comedian. She's been dying. To oh, talk yeah. We'll about get her on abortion. Oh, she's been hitting uh, me up. For a while now. So we definitely need to get yeah, her on. Definitely Self-proclaimed feminist. Uh, definitely a pro-choicer. Um, and she she wants to talk about how barbaric the new abortion laws in new york are and she's a pro-choicer like a big pro-choicer and a big feminist as well mm -hmm. and believes that these new uh, abortion laws in new york are infanticide and and just butchery just horrible butchery and i tend to agree with i her. do too 110 percent. yeah um That'll be but fun one. Folks, it's been, man, it's been a good run. It sucks. We got to cut it short, but. It's been great. Man, that's the way it goes. Uh, it's been great. We're going to try to do another one, what, Sunday? Uh, Sunday, yeah. yeah. Yes, probably Sunday, most likely, you know, for sure. Hopefully, we can get this one posted up pretty quickly. I'm not 100% sure where all we're going to be. Uh, I know sound, we're going to get the audio on SoundCloud. I want to get us on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I want to get us on. about Anchor. Yeah, well, definitely on Anchor. Okay. Uh, I want to get us on YouTube. I want to get us on Steemit. Oh, nice. Uh, which is another really great platform. Um, we're going to try to be as prolific as possible. We're going to try to be on as many uh, platforms as we possibly can be. But uh, stay updated. We're the CC Coastal Bent coming to you from the exchange in downtown Corpus Christi. I'm Scott Brooks. I'm Jeff Delgado. Yeah. We are going to call it a night, folks. We're going to call it a night. We'll see y'all on the next episode of the CC Coastal Vent. Yes. <laughs>